what a privilege it is to be here uh, in this position. I, um, I did this for a while, for a number of years, and it, now I get to sit back and worship uh, most Sundays if I'm not out preaching somewhere and see what, um, what God is doing here and through Jeff. It just thrills my soul. And uh, I'm just uh, uh, pleased that he asked me if I would fill in for him. You know, when I was preaching, I will tell you this, when I was preaching here for those 20 years and building our staff, um, we, uh, uh, we built such a great staff, as, even as Jeff has now, but the guys didn't really like to preach. And that was okay. I was building a staff for what, what God had uniquely gifted them. I didn't want, didn't want them looking over my shoulder, always wanting to preach. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, asking me how I'm feeling, you know, <laughs> things like that. So, you know, we're building it with there, and I wanted them to be here for the long term and really make commitment uh, to the body. But then whenever I would be gone, uh, you know, I'd look for one of the guys to fill in, and boy, they would see me coming down the hall, and they would be closing their doors, locking them, turning out their lights, and uh, until finally I got to the last door, which was more like a closet. And uh, it was that youth pastor, you know, that big doofus saying, I'll preach. (laughs) He's come a long way. His name, Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols is arguably the greatest hitter in the major leagues these last six years. He has done something that no other baseball player has done. In his first six seasons, he has hit 30 home runs, had 100 RBIs, 100 runs scored, and hit over 300 in each one of those seasons. Two years ago, he was the most valuable player in the league. Last year, he led his St. Louis Cardinal, his mind St. Louis Cardinals, <laughs> to the World Series championship. And he's gotten this, uh, a lot of notoriety uh, nationally, but especially in the Midwest and even in St. Louis. Well, I learned two things about Albert Pujols just uh, uh, two weeks ago. That I didn't know. He was on uh, James Dobson's Focus on the Family. And he was interviewed. And uh, somebody gave me a CD of it. And two things. Number one, he is a very committed Christian. He really loves the Lord and likes to talk about the Lord. And secondly, that when he met and would then marry his wife, Dee Dee that uh, Dee Dee had a child out of wedlock who had Down syndrome, Isabella. And the first thing that Albert Pujols wanted to do when they got married was to legally adopt Isabella. Of course, because he loved her, but also because he wanted his uh, child with a disability, he wanted her to have all of the benefits and the resources and the privileges of being 
Albert Pujols's daughter. This morning, I want to tell you about another child with a disability. He's mentioned in the scriptures. His name is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was pretty severely crippled in both of his feet. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's in the Old Testament, uh, toward the front of the Old Testament. Go to, go to the Psalms and take a left, and you'll, uh, and you'll find it. 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the big screen. Let me say we're going to read uh, this and then comment on it. You know, the, the, uh, the scripture is the only perfect part of this worship service. The only perfect part of this, this worship service is scripture. So we need to uh, pay close attention to it. 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. Then David said, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now let's pause right there and let's try to, let's try to put this in a, a, a historical framework and I think we might get more out of it. Uh, you remember uh, uh, some of your biblical history. Let me refresh you. And we can go all the way back to uh, Genesis with God creating all things. He creates man in his own image. And Adam is our federal head. And then uh, uh, he got uh, upset with man and he sent the flood. And Noah and his family uh, survive. And then we see Genesis 12 to 50. We have the period of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Isaac. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Jacob has the 12 sons, one of whom is Joseph, and uh, Joseph's uh, brothers were jealous of him. They sold him into slavery, and Joseph ends up in Egypt. And then when there's a famine in Israel, uh, Joseph brings all of the Jews, all the Israelites, into Egypt. And as we remember, the, the Jews, they would just, uh, they just multiplied so much so that Pharaoh became threatened by him and he put the Jews under bondage in Egypt. After which, 400 years, God sends Moses uh, and the 10 plagues and they go to the promised land. They enter the promised land with Joshua. And as they're in the promised land, they are pretty much governed by, um, uh, by judges the most noted of whom was the judge Samuel. And uh, they came to Samuel and they say, Samuel, um, we want a king. And Samuel said, uh, we've got a king. Jehovah is our king. They said, no, 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 Samuel. All the other nations have a king. We want to be like all of the other nations. Sam says, no, we are separate. We're distinct. God is our king. We are a theocracy. But they kept after him. They wanted to be like everybody else. Boy, we still suffer from a lot of that, don't we? I know I do. So Samuel uh, relents and 
gives him a king. And the first king is King Saul. Saul does some good things. Saul does some bad things. But Saul apparently had some real, uh, uh, some real physical or emotional problems. Uh, I don't know if it was a type of depression. I don't know if it could have been precursor to uh, migraine headaches. But he said, go find me someone who can play music that can soothe my soul. And so you remember they scoured the land and they, uh, they found the shepherd boy, David. And so they brought David into the palace and David would play his flute-like instrument and it would, uh, Saul said it soothed his soul. So David is at the palace a lot. Now King Saul had a son whose name was Jonathan. And Jonathan and David became the very best friends. Well, you remember, the other, the, the, you remember when they went out to fight the Philistines and uh, they, at one time they had the, the giant, Goliath, and the Israelites were so afraid. And uh, the shepherd boy, David, came out to bring, him, uh, to bring him supplies, to bring him some food. And as he's, you know, distributing the uh, Big Macs or whatever they were, um, he would, uh, he said, well, what's the problem here? They said, look at that big giant. And of course, we know that story. Uh, David said, I can, I can take him. And uh, David takes him. David is kind of promoted from being the, the musician to be going in the military. And he becomes a military leader. And he has so many victories that the people are looking more toward David than they are toward King Saul. And King Saul is jealous. He is so jealous of David that he seeks to kill him. Little did King Saul realize the bond between his son Jonathan and David. Jonathan tips David off and uh, and tells him that his father is going to try to kill him. And through tears, he, he saves his life. Well, later on, when King Saul and Jonathan are killed, David ascends the king. He ascends the throne to be the king. So David now is the king. And as such, he wants some kind of a memorial to Jonathan, his best friend who saved his life. Maybe he could build another wing onto the the palace, uh, the the Jonathan wing. uh, But he says, no, I, I I, I think I want something maybe uh, understated, but that would have a long-term uh, consequence. So it comes to verse 1. Then David said, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? It's interesting he says kindness, and we're going to see that, show kindness through here. We talk a lot about the mercy of God. This is a great place in Scripture. It talks about the kindness of God, how God gives us the ability to show kindness to others uh, because we've experienced the kindness of God. Uh, David says, is there anybody left of Jonathan's home that, that I could do something nice for just because of um, his father, Jonathan? Verse 2, now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? 
And he said, I am your servant. So they find out that there's a servant, longtime servant in the palace who would know these things. Three, the king said, is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Not just my kindness, the kindness of God. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. Now, when we read that, we, we take pause and we say, okay, Jonathan had a son who was crippled in both feet. I wonder how he became crippled. That's a, uh, we understand that, don't we? When we see somebody that's got a disability, wonder what it might be. Well, three or four pages, if you turn back three or four pages, you see what it is. In 2 Samuel 4, verse 4, and now Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son crippled in both feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. He fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. So we're told that, uh, you know, that, that his nurse, um, uh, nanny, they hear, they find out that, that King Saul is dead and even Jonathan, his father, is dead. And the nurse fears for Mephibosheth's life. And so he grabs him, or she grabs him, and she takes him, and somehow or other he fell. And he, he broke both feet. They didn't go to the ER. They didn't, um, they didn't break the bones and reset them and put a cast on. She was fleeing with him, afraid for his very life. Verse 4, so the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amil in Lodibar. Let's pause just a minute. Lodibar, that's where he's residing. Lo means no, Debar means pasture land. He is residing in a desolate barren area. And I think what God is trying to tell us is that he's almost lost in obscurity. He's going to be shown kindness from the king, not based on anything he's done. Verse 5. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Mephibosheth the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, here is your servant. Now let's pause there just for a minute. And I've got to tell you that I am a, uh, I'm a visual learner. So often I uh, read things and I just have to kind of pause, maybe close my eyes and kind of picture the scene. 
maybe, uh, maybe we can do this uh, a couple times. Uh, we'll get out our, our YouTube video here and kind of picture where Mephibosheth is out in this barren wilderness. Now, Mephibosheth's worst fear is that someday they'd come looking for him. His worst fear is now realized. There's a knock on his uh, tent door or lean-to or cave or whatever and said, Mephibosheth, you are being summoned by the king. And so they bring Mephibosheth to the king. Now let's, let's hit uh, play on the next uh, YouTube video. And let's picture the king's palace. And David is probably sitting in the throne and he's got the military leaders uh, and they bring in Mephibosheth. I wonder how he'd be walking. Perhaps with a couple of rustic crutches. I wonder what went through David's mind. I wonder if David had compassion on him because of his disability. I wonder if David, when he looked at him, if he saw glimpses in his face of his father Jonathan. I wonder if when David when he, David spoke and said Mephibosheth he said here I am I wonder if in his voice David might have heard just a tone of Jonathan I wonder if a smile would crease his lips a tear might fill his eye I wonder how he spoke the word Mephibosheth I wish we could uh, hear the tone. Was it questioning? You say, Mephibosheth? Was it with authority, Mephibosheth? I wonder if it was with compassion, Mephibosheth. And he says, Here I am. So now David talks about the kindness he's going to uh, give to him. Verse 7 David said to him, Do not fear. For I will surely show kindness, underline that again, to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Now listen, my friends, this is a lot of kindness, right? I am going to give you all of the land of your grandfather, King Saul. If that's not enough, I want you to come to the palace and eat at my table regularly. In a minute, he said, you're going to have the same benefits as one of my sons. You're going to eat at my table like a son of a king. Mephibosheth's first response, verse 8. Again, he prostrated himself and said, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me. You certainly get a glimpse of his self-image, don't we? A dead dog like me. 
What have I done? What have I done to deserve this? Nine. You know, I also wonder when I uh, hit that next video, I kind of picture David coming in and, and maybe um, dropping his crutches as he falls on his face, uh, prostrate before the king. And to fall on your face, you kind of have to get to your knees first and then fall. It must have been some sight. And now he does it again. Why? Why are you doing this? For such a dead dog like me, I am worthless. Verse 9. Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him. And you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Uh, David says, I'll tell you how we're going to work this. I'm not just going to give you the land. I'm going to give you servants. I'm going to give you Ziba, the longtime servant, his 15 sons, the 20 servants. They're going to take care of you and the land. And as for you, I want you to sit at my table. Verse 11, then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my Lord, the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. I want us to hit the next video. And I want to see as the screen comes up, and it's the dining hall in the palace, the king's palace. And the proverbial dinner bell is rung. And uh, they would gather at the table. Maybe the first to enter would be Amnon. Clever, witty Amnon. Maybe next would be Absalom. And what the Bible says about Absalom, he's handsome from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. Maybe next would be Tamar. Daughter sister to her brothers. Maybe next would be uh, Joab, uh, a visitor is coming to the table. One of the military leaders. He's a visitor tonight. And there's an empty chair here and they look around and they say, where's Solomon? Has anybody seen Solomon? Somebody said, I think he's down at the library writing poetry and psalms and proverbs. Solomon comes and then, lo and behold, the door opens and King David walks in and sits at the head of the table. 
But no one begins eating yet. There is still a chair that is unoccupied. And we would wait. And we would hear him before we would see him. Clump, clump, clump. And lo and behold, Mephibosheth would round the corner, come through the door, and perhaps clumsily get into his chair and swing his crippledness under the table. And he would look around that table and he would sit as one of the king's sons. And he would say, pass the potatoes. I want to draw five analogies from uh, this story to us as we see through the scriptures. Um, The first is that in Adam, uh, we had perfect fellowship with our father, didn't we? We were created perfectly. We, uh, we had perfect knowledge. It was, uh, he was our federal head. And the second analogy, in Adam, we fell. And we fell totally, not just breaking our feet, but we fell uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Spiritually. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin, that which we earn, the wages of what we deserve, is death. That's what we deserve. So in Adam, we, were, we, we had perfect fellowship, but in Adam, uh, we fell. But thirdly, in the kindness of God, he pursued us. As, uh, as David pursued Mephibosheth, God pursued Adam in the garden, didn't he? Adam sinned. What's the first thing Adam did? Is he fled from the presence of God. God in his grace went out after Adam. David went out after Mephibosheth because of kindness. My friends, if you're a Christian here today, it's because the kindness of God, he came out after you and he pursued you and he pursued me. I... Uh, hear folks um, say uh, about election, the glorious doctrine of election that, that uh, you know, I wrestled with and uh, certainly don't understand it all. And uh, many of you have wrestled with it and uh, others of you will. When I uh, used to teach about election, uh, that God saved some and not all. One of the first objections is that means God's unfair. And I say, well, in a sense, you're right. God is unfair, but not to those who are perishing. They're going to get exactly what they deserve. God's unfair to us, those who he saves. God created a people, the people sinned, and they're, and they're all perishing. God in his grace reaches down and saves some, of which I'm one and you are one. That doesn't mean he's unfair to the others. We need to praise God for his grace. 
Praise God every day for his grace. God pursues us. And fourthly, that in God, he also adopts us. He adopts us to be a child of the king. But it's not because, uh, it's not because he is unfair to us, no. He adopts us based on the work of Jesus. Jesus finished work on the cross because he didn't just save us. No, our sins had to be accounted for. They had to be atoned for. And God in his kindness and his mercy sent his son to go to that cross for you and for me. How embarrassed each of us would be if our sins were exposed here today. And yet they were exposed. They were exposed on that cross as Jesus died for you and for me. And then fifthly, someday we are going to enjoy the fellowship of others as we enjoy the banquet table in heaven. Scripture says there's going to be a great banquet table in heaven where we are going to be reunited with our loved ones uh, who knew Christ, who've gone on before us, or will come after us. Do we have time for one last video? We push play. We're now looking at the banquet table in heaven. And uh, I come in and walk in, maybe skip. There'll be no more crippledness, will there? There'll be no more wheelchairs. There'll be no more crutches. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more migraines. There'll be no more arthritis. There'll be no more depression. There'll be no more broken hearts. As I come in, as I take my seat, I look across the table and lo and behold, right across from me, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. And, and somebody's trying to get his attention and it's the Apostle Peter. <laughs> and next to Peter is Moses. Next to Moses is why it's Mary the earthly mother of our Lord. And Mary's talking to, it's my mother. And next to my mother is David Hammond. Talking to Jeannie Chapman. And next to her, is your loved one. Who is it, my friends, that you are most looking forward to seeing when you get to heaven? When you get to heaven. Well, as I take my seat, as I look around the table, and as I sit as 
a son. Lo and behold, the door opens. Then walks, not King David, but King Jesus. The King of kings and Lord of lords. And he takes his seat at the head of the table. And he looks up and down that table. And I look up and down that table. And as I sit, as you sit, as a child of the king, I would then say, pass the potatoes. Let's pray together. Who is it that you are most looking forward to seeing when you get to heaven? Is it a grandparent? A parent? A spouse? A sibling? A child? Who are you most looking forward to embracing, laughing with, enjoying eternity with? Well, is there a chair there at that table with the reserved with your name on it? Are you going to be there? Are you sure you're going to be there? Have you placed your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross on your behalf? My guess is that most everybody in here has, but I am also believe that probably some here who haven't. The message for you is to embrace Jesus, to realize you're a sinner and that you need a Savior and that you place your faith in Christ. Invite him into your life be your Lord and your Savior, to be adopted as a child so that you can enjoy the benefits of being not just the child of somebody famous, but the child of the king with all of the benefits. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful true story of grace. Thank you, O oh God, for our salvation. Thank you, O God, for the picture of this passage, the picture that we have of heaven. Oh, God, where we will have not just eternal comfort, but eternal joy with our loved ones who knew Christ as well. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.